This is the one with a brand new doctor. Scottish cuisine. A dick in a box. A sexy kissograms crack. Horny Patrick Moore. And a ball of light shot at Matt Smith's nuts. It's called the 11th hour. Here we go! We're still on our endless voyage All through time and all through space With Slovene and Angels now Dalek, Cybers, Ood and Wow Tenant Smith and Eccleston And Capaldi, he's the man Doctor Who is cool again That was Russell's master plan Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please Rose and Donna, Amy Pond Rory, Martha and beyond Join us on this odyssey What other choice could there be but Who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Yeah. Even now. <laughs> you couldn't leave it with Tenant. Why are you so reluctant to embrace this? It is a show about the past of a doc. It's a doc past. And a podcast. It makes perfect sense. As you can see, ladies and gentlemen, nothing has changed. <laughs> it's still us, the same two bozos presenting. I am Drew Back When, and opposite me is the Ponk Who Waited, the Impossible Ponk. <laughs> Ponkin. Hello, Podcast Land, and hello, Drew. Hello. <laughs> so, right. this is epochal. It is. Everything's epochal at the moment. It really is. I mean, we very recently dropped our tenant retrospective, and a fair chunk of our retrospective was a look ahead instead, and how fervently we were going to wank <laughs> at, <laughs> at the arrival of Moffat and Smith. I seem to remember I spent most of the tenant retrospective utterly misremembering Smith. And that was borne out in the show. Oh, interesting. I forgot pretty much every... Well, I'd never seen this episode before. Had you not? I had not. I had. And do you remember when we were doing our end of time double feature, when we were doing that review, and I said, I misremembered how the regeneration occurred. The start of this episode is how I thought the end of Tenant was going to happen. That's, right. That was what I was remembering. Because I was like, oh yeah, doesn't he like hang outside of the TARDIS and then he regenerates or whatever? He does, and it just compounds the irresponsibility <laughs> of Tennant. <laughs> just, oh, goodness. Fantastic it's not. It's not how I expected it to start either. But before we get too far in, yeah. shall we jump into a B-scale? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, levify and summarize, so take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview, this brief rule. We like to call it a bicycle chunk of who. Bicycle chunk of who. We drop in on the doctor just hanging out with his TARDIS. Crashing into a back garden in Ledworth, half an hour from Gloucester, he meets the young Amelia Pond, soon to become the girl who waited. She introduces him to the crack in her wall, drops a few hints at major plot lines this season, and then he fucks off by mistake. Still cooking from his regeneration, he returns five minutes slash twelve years later, only to find that an interdimensional snakefish fugitive has taken up lodgings in a forgotten room in now sexy Amy's house. And to top it all off, there's a Douglas Adams-esque ploy to destroy the Earth. Together with her sort of boyfriend Rory, they now have 20 minutes, give or take, to deliver our prisoner zero and save us all. Peace cow over, you are welcome. You just. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you like to start? I'd like to start with the opening animation. Oh, yeah. Because now we don't have to worry about whether it syncs up, right? 
That's true. So we have a new opening sequence with clouds and lightning, metal text, fire, new logo that spins into a TARDIS, gorgeous stuff. Uh, that's that's literally verbatim from my notes. <laughs> and new music, much more. Just a, it's faster. It's it's got a bit more. It's packing more of a punch. It's more aggressive. It's. Did you like it? Do you like the opening sequence? I did like the music, actually, throughout this episode. But the opening sequence, it didn't seem like the great leap forward I was expecting. No. I, I, okay, animation-wise, I prefer the, the previous one. Yeah. It's very much more reminiscent of the current one. Well, the Capaldi one, anyway, right? So where, I mean, we get to see the TARDIS fly through stuff. We get to we get that scene where it goes out of Vortex and into another one. And, and yeah, it's more dynamic. It's more like traveling through time. But this seems much darker than the, the actual episode that we get. Yeah, that's true. And perhaps I'm just used to how the time Vortex looks now. And I didn't buy the, uh, you know, the Tunnel of Fire quite so much. Yeah. So what do you think? Is this foreboding in some way? Well, as in we're going to go to hell and back with Matt Smith? Yeah, basically. Well, maybe. Although, mm. although we end up doing that with Capaldi, at least in episode titles. But yeah, it's that's gone. true. And we did practically go to hell with Tennant just a moment ago. Met the devil and everything. Uh, just a moment ago. <laughs> that was when I joined the podcast in 2015. But, but okay. <laughs> Two years ago. Sorry. <laughs> No, but still, I like change. I, I enjoy that change. I think the music is definitely an improvement, but... Oh, and the logo is definitely an improvement. I hated the previous logo. The one, oh. that, the one that looks like sort of a taxi lights. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't like that one. But And, and I love the animation of the, the logo spinning around, turning into a TARDIS halfway around, and then that's the end of it. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And even though I do like the tunnel or the vortex, it just doesn't fit in with the very wobbly doctor whom we meet in this episode. The At all. The clown par excellence. Yeah. This would fit with the war doctor. This is the war doctor's intro, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, as close as we get. Yeah. You know, you know, there aren't... He's not flying through just a vortex of wreckage no. and <laughs> decapitated aliens and... <laughs> Just well, essentially, what I'm saying is a Rick and Morty episode. Yes. He's not flying through oh. an episode of Rick and Morty. Oh, you know exactly how to get me hard. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That, that literally takes care of my first two notes. Opening scene with Matt Smith hanging outside the TARDIS is now how I remember the last regeneration and new opening sequence. <laughs> so sweet, done. On to finish off the music. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a lot of music in this episode, but it didn't annoy me. Bum 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 bum. bum. Did you like that theme? That is an incredibly action-packed theme. Yeah. And, right? And I was I liked the music throughout, and I thought that somehow it made me think that maybe I was wrong to criticise Murray Gold quite as often as I did. Oh, really? Because Murray Gold, he, he must be like a little imp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like capering about his studio like Hephaestus or something, like a, a little bent-over half-man of... <laughs> Of mayhem, and he's like this. This episode, I can I can make anyone love this through the sheer gaiety and madness of my music. <laughs> and Matt Smith actually lives up to it as the clown par excellence, whereas Tennant did not. It, it makes me feel like Tennant didn't quite buy into it. He he always had to sort of be a little bit detached, a little bit super cool. Whereas Matt Smith is just doing it, and he's doing the physical humor, and he's walking into trees because the steering's off. And there's so slapstick. much slaps. Yeah, there's so much slapstick in this episode. But in him, in general. In this episode, we get that we're sort of talking ahead several, several episodes, and I may very well misremember this because, I mean, when did this air? This was 2010. 
10, 2010, seven years ago. Very, very possibly I am misremembering <laughs> you know, what happens in future episodes. But I want to say that while in this episode he goes, well, I'm not you know, fully calibrated yet. I'm, I'm still cooking. Exactly, I'm still cooking, and, and therefore stuff just isn't working. I'm a little bit wibblier and wobblier than I normally am. But I want to say that he remains as wibbly and wobbly throughout his tenure. Yeah. That's true, right? But that's because he, he only makes that mistake because he doesn't know who he is yet. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he thinks, makes it's, perfect sense. He thinks it's growing pains, but there ain't no growing. Holy shit, I have a question for you. Okay. Is it about the doctor's dick? No. <laughs> okay, I thought from growing pains it could only go in one direction and that was... Wait, hang on, I now have two questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> why do we never get a scene where immediately post-regeneration, why does no one just immediately look inside their trousers? Oh, they all do. Wait, hang on. There's a, the, the, We're 100% getting that with the next Doctor, aren't we? Capaldi. Well, no, with the, what is it, the 13th oh, Doctor? Oh, Jodie Yeah, the 13th Doctor. Having just ceased being a man for, let's say, around about a thousand years, because we've had that argument on a number of occasions. Oh, no, no. Without wishing to argue it over, Capaldi on numerous occasions says 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Okay, so after having been a man for 2,000, or in a man's body for, for 2,000 years, we're definitely going to get a scene where she... Like checks her out in front of the, herself out in front of the mirror and maybe feels up her boobs, gives him a little squeeze. You think? Do you not think so? Um, no, I I think he's gonna know women's basic physiology from having been married to at least one, and well, obviously, and so he's gonna be like, well, I'll, I'll just find this out as I go, rather than I will, you know. Okay, okay, here, bet. A gentleman's a gentleman's bed. I I bet you. We're gentleman's gonna... bed. As a gentleman, I bet you she's going to feel her norks <laughs> right on screen. The first thing she does, she'll be no, like, "Where's no, no, my no, no. cock gone?" <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to be As quite a gentleman, that explicit. I don't think it's going to be quite. That ex- <laughs> I don't think it's going to be quite that explicit. But I do think I bet you there's going to be a scene. I mean, she is going to make a reference to her boobies. One hundred percent. The doctor's going to make a reference to the doctor's boobies. And I'm. I'm I mean, I'm sort of thinking back to the curse of the lethal death. Is that what it's called? Bing bong. Future punk in here. That would be the curse of fatal death. The 1999 Red Nose Day special. Bing bong. You know, the um, parody version with Rowan Atkinson and... Oh, that we didn't review, yeah. And tons of people playing the Doctor and the Master who has Dalek baubles for boobs. Okay. Anyway, anyway I'm, I'm sort of thinking back to that, but I, I'm, I'm betting that's going to happen. Anyway, backpedaling a little bit. What were we talking about before this? Oh, wait, hang on. I had a separate question for you. Well, I, I, I just want to say on the last point, he should definitely be asking Rory and Amy, what does my bum look like? Does my bum look big in this body is what he should be saying. <laughs> he hasn't seen it yet. He doesn't know what's back there. Well, he doesn't even know what's in front, in the front. When he sees himself, as he in look, when he sees the... He looks the... pretty confident when he strips down. I think he's had a sneak peek. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, maybe. He's like, well, if you're embarrassed to be in the same room as a two-foot todger, then I suggest you look <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> he does get naked later on in the show as well, close, uh, well sort of towards the end of his, his run. Oh, yeah. In the TARDIS. Is he not naked at one point in the TARDIS with Clara? Oh, I don't remember that. I think so, because they're going to the church of the whatever where everyone has to be naked. The, oh, okay. Right? I think so. Mm. And she's really embarrassed. Anyway, that's a future review. All right, so I have, a, I have a serious question for you. Okay, I'll give it a serious answer. In the last episode that we saw with Tenants... The end of time part two. That's the one. 
he was a massive emo about how he would be a completely new person. Some other man is going to walk away with my body or my memories or whatever it is, he says. Is that what happens here? Do you feel that this is what has happened? Is Tennant dead? You know, because in my mind, this is sort of a reboot. This feels very much like a like a, a reboot of the show. And is that what's happened? Or is this Tennant just in a different form? Uh, and, and Eccleston and McGann and all the previous ones who we see yeah. towards the end of the episode in yeah. one of those increasingly common sort of retrospectives. Hate that. Yeah. Yeah, hate that. Is he all of those? Um... Does it? Does he really feel like all of those doctors, or is he just a completely new person? I think we don't need to go any deeper into it than the Doctor is now unburdened of all his baggage. What we saw with Tennant was a guy straining under the weight of you know a whole persona and just being dragged through the mud. And I've been Space Jesus way too long. And I need a holiday. And every doctor at the beginning comes bounding in, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, literally in Matt Smith's case, because as Marie said, he is a puppy. Yeah. And that's what we get. We get the very beginning. I mean, he will have some access to Tennant's memories. He says, does no one listen to my face again? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But his past, for the moment, only exists as a source of levity. And it was such mm. a relief. It really was. Oh, it really was. I've, I'm even more pleased to not have... <laughs> I'm so sorry, David Tennant, if you're listening. I was so pleased not to have David Tennant's doctor around even more so than I was at the end when he died on screen. And I was just, oh, finally, it's over, the catharsis. Even in that retrospective burst, Tennant's face was the most emo of the ten by yeah. some way. And then Smith just walks through it and he's smiling and looking indomitable, really, really quite cool. Yeah. And you think, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this, this is a guy I can hang out with. This guy's yeah. not going to be, he's not going to bum me out. Yeah. Is he it's like he bums Rory out? <sighs> what he really does. <laughs> okay, so let's talk companions. We've got Amy Pond and we've got uh, Rory, what's his name? William. Rory Williams. Uh, is it Rory Williams? Does he change his name later on? D because in my mind they are the Ponds. Yeah, I think I, so. I think he might. So, okay, anyway, Rory. Well, you know what? I in this episode, stop me if I'm wrong, Rory is just Mickey Make 2 crossed with a little bit of John Watson. Yeah. Yes. Hey! Uh, agreement. That is spot on. Well done. Yeah. Hopefully he's going to turn into a little bit more. I mean, very. hopefully he's going to turn into a little bit more soon. I know he does. Mm. He obviously does, but... Well, yeah, people like Rory as much as, if not more than Amy. I remember really liking him, yeah. Hmm. He becomes the, 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 what's his name? Is he the chap who waited? Uh, the man who waited? That's, wasn't that what I said? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I, <laughs> I thought you wanted an accurate answer. Right, sorry. <laughs> Rather than a synonym. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do like him, but you're, you're absolutely right. He doesn't have that much of a role in this one. It's, their relationship to one another is really weird in this episode. Well, yeah. Why is he kind of the boyfriend? Why is he kind of the boyfriend? And why is he jealous of um, the good-looking one? Jeff. That's the one. Yeah, oh, see? of course. Great. Jeff. Yeah. Always tall Jeff with the muscles and the porn. Well, at least it's not Adam this time. Ugh. Isn't, isn't, is that not the sort of equivalent? Because I haven't seen the first series in forever and ever oh, and ever. But Adam, Adam was sort of a, a beefcake who rocked up and then fucked off quicker than you could blink. I don't remember Adam being a beefcake. I remember Adam being a massive douchebag. Oh, Just okay. like such a complete and utter knob. And <laughs> so full of himself. 
Jeff seems like a nice chap, but I, I, okay. I, I, I'm assuming that we'd never get to see Jeff again. Nah, he he disappears into the city. He sits on several boards. Yeah. Yeah, he never I mean, he sees... can get any job he wants after this. Yeah, he, he never sees Mrs. <laughs> Angelo again. It's just her and an eyeball in the telly staring at each other <laughs> until one of them dies. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Angelo, played by Annette Crosby. Yes. Of One Foot in the Grave fame. Which I've never seen. Victor, you don't know where you are. <laughs> I'm going to take that as probably very accurate. I had to do that for my friend Ben. That's all we said for Hello, four ben. years at university. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Victor! Did she do anything else? I definitely recognise her from stuff. Oh, she's surely had a 30 or 40 year career. Yeah. 50, 60. She's oh, yeah, yeah, certainly. I was surprised that she didn't turn out to be Aunt Sharon. We don't see anything about Aunt Sharon. We hear about Aunt Sharon repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Aunt Sharon sets up the best line in this episode. Uh, oh, is this the... Oh, wait, hang on. I think I wrote down the, the actual minute for the sound bites. Oh, I didn't, but I did write that I need a sound bite. Is this... Don't have a mum and dad. Just an aunt. I don't even have an aunt. You're lucky. I know. No, that's, that's no, that's not the best line. Oh, what is the best line? You're worse than my aunt. I'm the doctor. I'm worse than everybody's aunt. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how I'm introducing myself, by the way. <laughs> there are some really good lines in this one. Oh, there are. He he has been finessing this script. <laughs> You're Scottish. Fry something. <laughs> yeah. I'm in England, and it's rubbish. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Let's let's get back to Hot Jeff and his uh, mum, aunt, grandmother, 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 gran. You're welcome, Mrs. Crosby. Oh, her, his older sister. His older sister. <laughs> <laughs> Shave a generation off that person. Anyway, so uh, or two. All right. So here's something that does bother me about this episode. I, okay, I'll just preface this by saying I love this episode. I think it is. It, oh, yeah, we should make that clear. Yeah. Uh, almost uh, an almost perfect episode, I think. But I mean, yeah, uh, caveats, hashtag, whatever. Pardon my skeptical expression, which you didn't see, podcast. <laughs> but here's one thing that I really dislike about it: every single bloody coincidence in it. It is coincidence central. Well, Moffat explains the coincidence of once the Doctor gets back, the Atraxi get in motion, and Prisoner Zero has to start up again. Sure. What are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking, example, the doc just happens to jump into Amy Pond's family friend's house. Oh. He just happens to jump into that house where someone just happens to have a laptop who just happens to be a pseudo-rival of the boyfriend, of Amy's sort of boyfriend, who just happens to be the same person who's taking a picture when the doc has his ridiculous Sherlock scene in the piazza, which is the second thing I really hate about this episode. Oh, and that goes on way too long. I'm running along a fence now. I'm running this way now. I yeah. whoops, spin back. Here's Rory. I can read his name tag. Yeah, there's like half a village. This is going, wait, hang on. I, I'm going to really fine tune how I shoot these scenes for later on when I do Sherlock. Yeah, this is a absolutely a Sherlock warm up. Yeah, and it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in because that's not. Is the doctor? Should the doctor be able to do that? Should he know? Should he have those skills? Oh well, I mean, to say the doctor can't, oh, wait, can't uh, drop any new skills on us at this point is tremendously limiting. <laughs> okay, it's, yes, it's, that's it's true. It's not as bad as just sort of he does it sighing once. and stepping through a fan, <laughs> which I will hate forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite hate that as well. <laughs> Though apparently he did something similar as Pertwee. 
Uh, well, Apparently, I, I think I remember us saying that all. Oh, sorry, I remember JD saying that at the time. This probably comes up every eighteen months or so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so all these coincidences, and I, I dislike them. I think some of them can be explained away by the little village of Ledworth that she lives in. And okay, it doesn't seem that little from where they're filming. I mean, it's got a pretty big church for one thing. He drives a long way in a fire truck speeding across a road to get to the hospital. Yes, he does go a long way, although that's probably... Or is that what, like a hospital in the next town? I think so, because as he's driving the fire engine, he's blasting down a tree-lined A road, which is connecting those two towns. Right. He's not going through a, you know, a built-up area. So there are no... There's no hospital there? No. Yeah. Okay. Rory oh. works next, next village over. Okay, fair enough. Actually, yeah, fair enough. Take it back. And so everybody in this community knows her, hence hence uh, when she traps his tie in the car door, which is a great scene, Oh, it, by the way. Yeah, that man, we've encountered him before on Who Back When. We have. Yeah, the man whose car it is, the, the older gentleman. He Who knows Amy is the point, but yeah. carry Oh, on. yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Sorry, no, I'll take that argument. I think that's a, that's a pretty solid argument. It is a small town. He even makes a point of saying, I mean, all you have is a bloody post office and it's closed. But yeah, so the, the chap whose car it is, we encountered him in a serial called The Dominators. Can't remember what his name was, but he played a Dulcian. Oh. They were the good guys. The Dominators were the bad guys. Great naming conventions, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and all I remember is that the Dulcians all wore dresses. So uh, as a young man, he wore a fab- fabulous dress. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's in this. That's pretty cool for just this tiny little cameo. I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Ooh. So I, I, do, <laughs> I do get that everybody's tremendously lenient and welcoming. About, I mean, he does make up a half-assed excuse about he's fixing the telly and... Oh, here's a policeman. Oh, wait, it's Amy. You know her. Yeah, you know her. Weren't you a nurse the last time I saw you? Now you're a policewoman. What is the third? None. None. Oh, because I didn't hear what it was, but I I really wanted to ask you what it was. (laughs) Sexy. Nuns. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, before we get on to an inevitable conversation about how hot Karen Gillan is, we should up front address her acting in this episode. Okay. We should be professional about this. Certainly. Okay. What did you think? I sort of have to remind myself. I I kind of feel like she was all right, wasn't she? I thought she was good. Did she not do a good job? Why yeah, am I so squeaky? My, ignore my sceptical face. I've, no, but I my, feel like your preface. And my inherently sardonic tone. I, no, I, I feel like the, the fact that you said, well, let's just set aside the fact that she's attractive and now address her talents as though not to be biased by her her powers of attraction but dude, I, dude, dude. I feel like she was a good she did a good job in this one she did do a good job that i think she had a very oh i see right so i think I, that she had very think... good chemistry with smith yes yes she did yeah i i totally bought that she was the girl who waited for the doctor yeah and she's she's wide-eyed she, there is a lot in that performance, is, is what I'm thinking. She has read that script back to front. I guess Moffat must have prepped her. Do you think Moffat's maybe a bit of a control freak? I mean... Maybe. I mean, I'm not... I have nothing to base that on. I mean, either he's a control freak or he just assembled a really good set of actors because there were so many little subtle movements in this episode. We just come from RTD, who's big and theatrical and everything's wahey and over the and top. And here, everything is, is in the details. Yeah, the precision that 
the inch perfect th- there is one point where she and it's in this scene where the doctor says uh bit used to me amelia pond the brilliant name and she says it's a bit too fairy tale yeah and she says that with a mixture of gratification and resignation yeah and those things do not go together but they both come out in but the- she pulls it off and it's very possible that this does last throughout moffat the moffat era but I suspect that when you are suddenly handed the reins and it is your first goal, you want to make a fantastic first impression. And therefore, perhaps if you are a bit of a control freak or if you are good at planning ahead, then you will take those attributes, you know, and just turn them up to 11 and think of think ahead of every minute detail. Yeah, because every minute detail can be revisited, can set something up. Half a series, two series from now, the amount of cleverness that you can retcon into that episode is yeah. potentially almost limitless. Yeah, which is why you... Sort of, I mean, I was, I was going to say this later on when we get to our ratings and reviews, but in, his, in the first bit of dialogue, he already sets up the crack. In this episode, he has... I think I wrote down the, the actual sound bites. There we go, 4540. The universe is cracked. The Pandorica will open. Silence will fall. That's him setting up three plot lines that are going to be massive throughout this entire season, or possibly these seasons, plural. Actually, yeah, the the crack, certainly. But you're right. There is such huge... I didn't consider there's huge potential for retconning. He could just think, like, let's say three phrases that are really cool. Figure out what they mean later on (laughs) down the line. (laughs) And if we don't, they're just lines, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think he do that exactly. Although there are there are loose ends that maybe that never get picked up. Well, I don't think that's how he works. No, I don't think so. I think he drops three or four of the biggest plot lines for the whole of Matt Smith's run, basically, in the first five minutes. Yeah. Because he just feels like flicking us, the audience, on the nose and going, I can. This is how good I am. Like, I already knew, know it now where we're heading with this show. Yeah. And in however many years, in seven years' time, <laughs> you're going to look back at this episode and you're going to go, holy shit, he, that man is a genius. Yeah. I, is it unfair to think that Moffat likes showing off more than T- RTD? Is that unfair? Because no, I, I think that's very accurate. Well, thing is, I don't quite what I'm basing... RTD's love of spectacle. I've always attributed RTD's love of spectacle to him wanting to provide us with the ultimate show. But then when Moffat is super clever, I sort of internalize his motivation for that as wanting to prove he's clever rather than giving us a really clever show for us to enjoy. Yeah. I don't know why I'm drawing that distinction. I guess I'll just have to work this out in, you know, your earballs will be my psychiatrist couch podcast line. <laughs> I hope you've set the next three years aside. Or, Stephen, if you're listening, <laughs> come on the show. It's, it's all speculation, but what we, can, what we don't have to speculate about, what we can say is how we feel, how we perceive everything. Yeah. We don't have to say, yeah, this is definitely how he felt when he made that show, but I think what you're saying is mirrored in other products of his. Yeah, that's Sherlock, certainly. I mean, the, everything he, is about ultimately attaining the summit of cleverness. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, from an introvert. Yeah, do you know what? It could be the extroversion introversion thing going on. Could be it. Also, right. as corroborating evidence in this episode, yeah. you have. I know RTD has called his own writing brilliant. Sometimes uh, when it says it's least brilliant. Oh, that's a shame. I was going to say he has every right to, but that is a bit of a shame. <laughs> But Moffat does it here as well, because Amelia Pond, that's a brilliant name. Oh, that's... Oh, wow. 
I mean, surely he came up with that name. Unless he, he knows someone called Amelia Pond, in which case we'd surely know about her. The true Amelia Pond behind <laughs> Doctor Who. She'd have been in the news. She'd have yeah. melted. Haunted by paparazzi. Yeah. Yeah. Slash super fans. Stephen, get back here. <laughs> <laughs> and later on, I, I feel like that he breaks the sonic deliberately. To, to be like one in the eye for RTD. Like, you know all those episodes of Who Back When when they said, ah, what a glib device. You just got the magic stick out and fixed it with that. I'm going to do it without it and I'm going to make a big show of it and then at the end I'm going to go, who da man? <laughs> oh, that's so true. That is Moffat going, who da man? Yes. Yeah, no, you're so right. <laughs> I'm glad he gets a new Sonic, by the way. I um, much... Yes, the green Sonic. Isn't that the one you've got? It is, yeah. I much prefer that Sonic to Tenants. And I much prefer it to the, the TARDIS-shaped slash coloured TARDIS. It, it, not TARDIS, Sonic, that uh, Capaldi has. Oh, okay. That one's dreadful. The new, the current Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. While we're talking about the TARDIS and colours... Yeah. Oh, yes. The new TARDIS. Sorry we're skipping from... Huge subject, a huge subject. We're going to jump around. That's fine. We're, we're committing yeah, and There is around. so much to talk about. Yeah. The, what did you think? I love this one. I, I, I'm, I was wrong, wasn't I? In the retro, I said, this is the same TARDIS that Capaldi has. It is not the same TARDIS. Not like, at all. Not at all. Capaldi's is all clean lines and those rotating... Exactly. Sort of crystal maze-like Bookcases and everything. However, I think the reason I was wrong about it is because Matt Smith is going to have another TARDIS. Oh. I think so. Uh, and yeah, as in it's another TARDIS interior, at the very least. He's going to reboot himself. Okay. Right? I, yeah. I'm not sure. I am pretty sure. Is that after the Doctor's wife? And then the TARDIS goes like, I'm going to take this dress off and uh, I'll be completely different once I'm a TARDIS again. Yeah, maybe. 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 I don't know. I can't remember. But regardless, much prefer this one to uh, Eccleston's TARDIS. Eccleston. The Eccleston's and Tennant's TARDIS. The Coral TARDIS. Yes. Yeah. Much prefer this one. Well, I sort of and yet don't. Yeah, oh, with the couple of exceptions, the silly bits. Don't like the silly bits. You don't know the little huge jaws, the tchotchkes, the uh, sort of little steampunk yeah, I, clutter. So, I, Well, I think some clutter is okay, because it kind of makes sense to me. The fact that the previous TARDIS, it basically imploded, and then it rebuilt itself with various bits and bobs that it found inside itself. Ah. So that kind of, that idea, that makes perfect sense to oh, me. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's good. But I think it, there's too much of that going on. Like, I, I don't like the typewriter. Oh, uh, I, I do. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a little bit too silly. What have I written here? Reading my notes, I'm not a huge fan of the very silly gadgets like the typewriter, the pinball machine. Why is there a pinball machine on the controls? I don't want the pinball machines on the fucking console. I didn't even see that. Yeah, you there's too much to thing. take in. Oh, that. Oh, okay. And it goes yeah. bing, 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 bing. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh, wow. So there are a few too many silly things. It's a little bit like in, is it Tenant who has a bicycle pump and, and it, fucking cool it, you guys. If you go back to classic Who, it is a piece of sci-fi machinery. You know, it's a console in a spaceship. Yeah. And I prefer that. Now, fast forward 2,000 years, probably over those 2,000 years, he's had to mend it in bits and, pl you know, in various places. But would you mend a spaceship with a pinball machine? No, you wouldn't. So, no. Mm. Aside from that, I think that Thomas is bloody beautiful. I, I think it's too sort of cluttered in general. I couldn't really get a good idea of, of its dimensions, almost. I mean, when Amy's in, 
you, you want like her to be looking around and seeing how vast and magnificent it is. And there didn't seem to be any clear sight lines. You know, it was all, here's some stuff hanging down and here are some lines, but they don't quite intersect with those other lines. And That's a fair point. I, I it's al- got that platform as well. Yeah, I feel like the Coral TARDIS and Capaldi's TARDIS both look bigger inside. This one's almost a bit claustrophobic. Yeah, that's true. Is it in this TARDIS that we get Journey to the centre of the TARDIS? Oh, I'm not saying there aren't infinite other rooms, but this is where we're going to spend 99.9% yeah, you're right. of the time. It looked a little bit like a lava lamp to me. There are all these sort of bubbly... It has this bubbly effect in the background. Mm. There's sort of, you know, asymmetrical bubbly windows and, and embossed... I'm just going to use the word bubble again. Bubbles on the walls. The roundels don't look the same either. Actually, the roundels are... They're not rounds. The roundels on the wall are sort of sunken... Maybe they were in the first place. Now I can't really remember. They were definitely no, they were round. round they were 100% round in the first place. I remember when they were popping out and Donna was in there and they were exploding. Very definitely round. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, no, I was thinking about the classic who. They're definitely round with Hartnell as well, and they're round, I think they're round with Hartnell anyway. They're certainly round with Tom Baker, mm-hmm. having recently looked at his TARDIS a lot. <laughs> Why? Because I'm building a TARDIS <laughs> in the back garden. Oh. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's that's a plot point in this one. There's a TARDIS in the garden. Who ever heard of such a ridiculous notion? <laughs> I like that the TARDIS here had to reset, that it had, it had to regenerate just like he had to regenerate. Oh, because he set it on fire with the sheer, you know, stupidity of... Majesty of his awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> majesty, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We are skipping all over the place. Yeah, I, I, for the next thing I want to talk about, I'd have to skip as well. So I, I, I okay. see you, you already ra- raised an index finger. Go for it, go for it. I just, I just we, we talked about how great Karen Gillan is as an, as an actress. Yeah. I'm on my way to her, by the way, in my notes. So, yeah. Okay, you take it from here then. Oh, really? Let's, let's take your... Okay, so uh, I, I have I have two questions about. <laughs> sorry, no one question, one observation. That the observation, and this is just I really like this scene. It was after she's handcuffed him to the um, uh, the heater, yes, and she's still pretending to be a a, a, a policewoman, an, an English or- policewoman. Her accent oh. is English until five minutes. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, I did not register that at all. Yeah. Oh, that makes me doubly doubly impressed. Well done, Karen Gill. There's anyway. So when when he goes, oh, where's backup? Oh, it's a fake radio. Blah blah blah. Yada yada yada. She to reveal her actual career. She goes, I'm a kissagram. Takes off her hat, sort of whips back her hair in a way as though to say, yeah, hello, I'm hot. <laughs> you know, like obviously I'm a kissagram. Yeah. When you join the police force, <laughs> you have to shave your head. Did you not remember? Yeah. Did you not see what's it called? Police. Academy. I was going to say police court. <laughs> <laughs> police Academy, yeah. Or Law and Order UK with Bradley Walsh. Oh. I think. <laughs> I don't know, man. Topical. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, the yes there you go. Oh, I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never seen him in anything outside of The Chase, I think. But I'm thrilled. Based on the way that he delivers jokes on The Chase alone, I'm thrilled. <laughs> really? <laughs> Those really shitty jokes that his team of writers write for him on The Chase. How does he deliver those jokes? Poorly. But he does, <laughs> but, but he does so with a bit of cynicism and, and sarcasm. A little bit like, oh, I'm getting okay. paid for this. <laughs> okay. I like it. Also, I misidentified him to Miriam 
for some reason we were watching the chase this is ages ago like years ago the chase came on the telly he's there and i go oh yeah yeah that's uh that's mike from the young ones uh no. <laughs> yeah that was i completely misidentified him oh yeah yeah that's old mike from the young ones but it's obviously not oh no old mike from the young ones is is now general what's his face skull general skull skull the destroyer is that not his name? Something? Glorn? No. It's S. It's got to be S. It's Santaran. He is Santaran. General Snow. Snark. Sarcasm. Sark. Michael Skarn. Bing bong, future punkin here, temporarily recording without an external microphone. Sorry about that. That would be General Stahl in the Santaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky, and later on, Commander Stark in the Pandorica Opens. Bing bong. So, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so, well, it, it, jumping around. We may cut a lot of this. It probably <laughs> is a question about her and her outfits. Right. As they are running out of the house, yes. he goes, why did you dress up as a policewoman? And she goes, well, it was this or a French maid. Yeah. Does that mean that she got naked when she heard someone B and E into her home and then picked an outfit? Does that mean that at, at some point she goes, mm, I'm in my, or maybe like I'm in my civilian clothing. No, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to get into my police costume. Oh, I see. And cricket bat this chap in the face. <laughs> I, mm, possibly. I, I think. She's just saying that's in her wardrobe as well. Yeah, but that means that she put it on because she wasn't on no. her way to her, to a gig or I, anything, I right? I think she was. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. I think he just <laughs> happened to drop in when she was on her way as a policewoman. I think it's hilarious regardless. <laughs> it is good. Do you know what I don't like about that scene, though? No. The door. The extra door. The door okay. that we can clearly see all the time. Yeah, you're right. It, and do you know what it reminded me of? No. It reminded me of the perception filter in The Sound of Drums, where they're in the warehouse, and the doc goes, put the uh, TARDIS, part of the TARDIS key on. And it's just got sort of pans to the ball. side or something. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it just goes, and it's like, well, I can't see you now. Well, you see, you're just at an angle. I can still see you just <laughs> as well. And here is even less satisfactory. Yeah, you're right. I feel like in some scenes that should have just been a blank wall rather than the door's open. The door being open or closed has nothing to do with it. I feel like we should have seen some with the Some with with and some without a door. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think that would be really, really good. And then for the the scenes where they're actually identifying, oh, wait, hang on, there is something there that I've never noticed before, then you could just have it pan so far to the side that it is tiny and almost out of focus. Maybe it's sort of darkened by a vignette or whatever in a corner, you know, or along the edge of the screen and then kind of shift into focus. Yeah, rather than seeing the eyes pan around yeah. which i get that moffat wants to make us terrified of our own peripheral vision yeah like he wants us to be scared of breathing yeah and shadows blinking. and blinking yeah. and sleeping yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's a fucking sadist <laughs> he's great i love him <laughs> but yeah that didn't quite it okay all right i unlike karen gillen can, yeah, <laughs> conceptually, it definitely worked for me. Like Karen Gillan, the, the, uh, <laughs> I thought Karen Gillan was great. Do you want me to leave the room for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you went really quiet and looked like you had no interest in saying anything else. No, I, are I, you still here? I feel like there was need something... to be alone with my computer, like Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> need to do a Jeff. That was kind of fun. The yeah, that was kind of fun. But, but, yeah. his gran bursts in, like, half a second later. Fucking yeah. hell, Jeff. Wait until she's gone down the shop. Lock the door. Put a sock on the on the handle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, so when Gran can walk past the door, she goes, oh, there's Jeff beating off again. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Pounding one out on the other side of this door. She's She <laughs> hasn't been able to see Jeff for... Uh, since they left the first time but now the doctor's gone in this is the first time she can be sure he isn't just wanking away really his gran only sees him between the front door and his bedroom door and then that's a few seconds each day otherwise it's just jeff and the laptop how old is jeff the doctor's hands really should stick to that laptop uh i think (laughs) i think jeff is do you know what i have no idea how old's channing tatum because they must be the same age because they look the same i don't know i don't know Trying to him is difficult to peg down because he's wearing a bunch of Hollywood makeup and he's crazy buff. Isn't uh, Jeff fairly buff? He's fairly big. Yeah, he's he's very tall. He's got all that bone structure going for him. I don't know, thirty. Also, he's got tremendously developed arm and wrist muscles. Uh, at least one arm and wrist muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't think he's double handing it? Uh. Oh yeah, possibly. Mm. Yeah, probably. Girlfriend, Jeff. <laughs> So where haven't yeah. we jumped to in our crazy, you know, ricocheting around this episode? How about the very Douglas Adams-esque plot? The the whole, the human res- residence will be incinerated. Oh, Moffat loves to do things like that, doesn't he? Not blow up the earth necessarily, but what someone means by what they're saying is something completely different to what you're interpreting. Yeah, and regardless, it's going to be epic. Yeah. Yes, he does. But Douglas Adams was... A hundred percent what sprang to mind, or who sprang to mind. And, I mean, you're way more familiar with The the Hitchhiker's Guide than I am. I feel like you're, you quote it, I'm unable to, but... I never could get the hang of Thursdays. That's really my only quote. Oh, okay. (laughs) What's my only one? Uh, And then the the machine produced a brown liquid that was almost, but not quite, entirely unlike tea. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's a beautiful line. (laughs) The, the... uh... (laughs) Yeah, anyway, so it it felt like that was almost an homage to Douglas Adams, and Douglas Adams used to write for Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And it felt like that was tying a neat little bow, like this is a new beginning, but it is also somehow true to the original we haven't forgotten where we came from that sort of thing yeah yeah maybe nice. maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it different thing did you like the scathing indictment of our species obsession with mobile phones i think that i don't know how prescient it was at the time but we we've definitely settled into that rut yeah yes we have we, we seem to have no interest in escaping it no i mean if the world were to end i mean if if let's face it trump were to start a nuclear war then we probably would be like, yeah, we pretty much are fucked. Might as well get some decent footage for the aliens to find. Yeah. When they eventually dig up our, <laughs> you know, entombed phones. Yeah. For some data. <laughs> I feel like Moffat maybe missed a trick at the end when he's writing, or the doctor's written the virus on the phone and he's about to disseminate it around the world or whatever. Whatever it is that he does. Yeah. We've already had the line from Rory when he speaks to the ridiculously sceptical doctor at the hospital. The one who's sceptical, who doesn't believe that comatose people can call out for a doctor in unison, even when they do. Oh, that doctor. The doctor who is such a scully, she outscullies scully. She, anyway. When she has the evidence literally in her hand. Yeah. Her pager goes off. And, and she goes, her- I don't believe you. Yes. <laughs> I got an urgent page which I will now stand here and consider while you leave the room. Yeah. 
this pager, this is technology I can get behind. <laughs> it's not a camera as well. That's the line I'm talking about. We've already had the line where Rory tells her, she said, like, why are you handing me your phone? And he goes, it's, it's also a camera. And then fast forward to the end, and the, the alien tells Smith, leave your phone or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, do you know what the best thing about this phone is? And he, he should have just gone, it's also a camera. And that could then tie it back to Rory and we could have maybe liked uh, Rory a little bit more and maybe felt like, oh, wait, hang on. By proxy, Rory is now really clever. Then, then yeah, Or at least Rory has... Well, he does have a part to play, but the Doctor doesn't emphasise it. Yeah, he doesn't. And instead, it's just like, it also contains lots of weird, candid photos of people that I'm now going to attach to an email or something and then a whap to people into space. Why are you doing this now, Doctor? And, you know... The best thing about this phone is it has a space MMS option. (laughs) And once I click it, every alien in the universe... Receives a copy. Yeah. Yeah. That is... is Definitely the best thing about that phone. It's incredible. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. His, I, I remember a coincidence. Oh, okay. Yeah, hit me. It's when the doctor goes, which window are you at? And Amy goes, we're on the fourth one or from the left on the first floor in the coma ward. How the fuck does she know from his vantage point in the fire engine racing up to the front of the hospital, which, which window to stick the ladder through? Uh, I don't think that's so implausible. She looks at the far wall, probably knows that's the edge of the hospital, counts the windows, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four, three. She knows which floor that they're on. Okay, you've been to the JR a fair few times. Yes. If the doctor were to say, which one's the fourth window from the left so I can stick my window through, would you know? No, I would not know. No. However, if I were... But the JR is a far larger hospital than, than this one. This is like a little town hospital. This is like... It only has two floors. I think it's probably like it's incredibly clear that they are in the last room before the end of the building. Oh, so they you know? can literally count the windows. Except yeah, they've I come, think that's what she does. They've come down a long corridor to get to that point. Oh, they? that's true. Actually, yeah, that's yeah. that's a but that's on a soundstage somewhere. <laughs> yeah, really? no, you're right. You're you're very right. I, I had a theory. I had a theory for okay. how they would know okay, this window because she and Rory are always meeting on the long-term vegetative state ward outside of visiting hours. If you know what I mean. Oh, Doing yeah. a little explorative penis surgery. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Explorative penis surgery. Yeah. Turfing the patients onto the floor and fucking constantly if you know what I mean. <laughs> She's probably memorised the view out of each window. <laughs> <laughs> and that's maybe how she knows but otherwise for me it's just an annoying coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, solid, solid stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's implausible. However, I think it's a little bit ridiculous that she knows to give him that much detail. Like, why doesn't she just answer his question by saying, "We're in the coma ward"? Oh, he, he's not going to know that though. Well, like, I mean, there are signs everywhere, right? Like, why don't you just go like, "We're in in there B-wing. isn't a sign in the fire engine." She doesn't know that he is in a fire engine. Oh yeah, that's right. He's just commandeered. A vehicle. Yeah. She knows, it, it, all she knows is he wants to know where they are. And why doesn't she just go, we're in the hospital, uh, find us in B4. Yeah, what the fuck are you on about windows for? Yeah, exactly. What the shit are you talking about? Do you think I'd climb through windows? No, I'm going to take the lift up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, right. We are managing to pick apart Moffat. Yeah. Yeah, we are. 
into it. Oh, I'm I'm loving this. <laughs> okay. Do you know what though? Do you know what though? Go for it. I was gonna make a resolution for this oh, really? run of episodes. Oh really? In that I definitely started to feel bad ragging on rtd quite so much but the concessions he has to make to watchability you know for the liberties he has to take certainly with the show to give us a product that we'll enjoy and you know he has to ignore some of the infinite number of rules like if the doctor just had a sonic in this scene or, or some gadget that he has accumulated like we see so many of in the tardis over two thousand years if he had something from his enormous history he could just zip and there would be no story and no fun yeah. so everything is a bit contrived and a bit artificial. You are right. And and it, and <laughs> if we were to obey every single law, we we wouldn't have a show. Not even someone of of Moffat's, you know, braininess can perhaps get around it. So I I I don't want to be nitpicky, but I will for the sake of humor. <laughs> Yeah, likewise. But I do feel like we actually also, we we set the record straight in our retrospective. We are immensely grateful to to RTD for what he did. And not only what he did, but how he did it. He did a a fantastic job. Yeah? Mm. Let's just agree. He did a a great job. There are a few things that we maybe weren't huge fans of. Fine. We're going to be maybe not huge fans of certain things that Moffat does as well. And of literally anything that any one dog. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. To hear more, listen to the bonus <laughs> retrospective of David Tanner on whobackman.com. <laughs> okay. Here's something we haven't talked about at all, really. The How eight- long the episode is? Oh, no. All right. Let's talk about that. How long is this episode? It's over 60 minutes. Yes, that's true. It is an hour. I mean, nice. Yeah, it's, it's it's over an hour. Well, a lot of that is most of the next series being previewed. Like, a copious length. I have a soundbite written down from an hour and one minute. All right, go on then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want it? Yeah. All right, soundbite. An, one hour, one minute. I thought, well, I, I started to think that maybe you were just like a madman with a box. Amy Pond, there's something you better understand about me because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. First mention of madman with a box. Really? Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's amazing the combinations of words that haven't come up before in, you know, 46 years of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want some more sound bites of just seminal Doctor Who phrases? Go for it. Here you go, 57 minutes. Yeah, it's cool. Both eyes are cool. 58 minutes. Amy Pond, the girl who waited, you've waited long enough. Well, this is what I said, so much setup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's basically going to be watching the episode at home thinking, that sounds good, I'll come back to that. That sounds, no, that fell flat. That one I'm bringing back. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, I've got some some questions. Uh, Or not questions. I've got a topic, something we haven't talked about at all. The aliens. We haven't talked about the Atraxi and we haven't talked about the interdimensional uh, fish snake. Right. So what do you think of what do you think of the Atraxi? Let's start with them. The eyeball thingies. Crystal eyeball prison guards. I do sort of like them. I yeah, I, I do like them. I was thinking about this episode in general, that it's not quite freewheeling in the same as RTD's episodes are, but it you know, I've been watching a lot of Rick and Morty to catch up lately yeah. and oh, I'm now caught up. So good. Pickle oh. Rick Pickle Rick. Oh god, Pickle Rick. Yeah. yeah. The point is, that's just 20 minutes of mayhem. (laughs) And this was an hour of mayhem. Yes, it was. And and my point with mentioning the longer episode is, 
it didn't drag anywhere, pretty no. much. There was none of this, well, why on earth did he inflate that? With Like with the two episodes we just had, this one was perfectly conceived. Yeah. But with, yeah, with this, you, you never knew where it was going. And I've said before how I want Doctor Who to be just like that. And the Atraxi, again, just seemed like a, a leap of imagination from anything we've had before. I mean, they yeah. they didn't look brilliant. And maybe the multi-form also looked a bit crap and we only ever got half of it yeah it's always hanging down from from off like it's basically like a dropped boom mic <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes me rather uneasy right now uh, i mean what is this tail like wrapped around yeah I'm, why is it all, yeah okay I, uh, so many years it, i i agree i think maybe the um the what did you call it again the multi-form is that what it's is that what it's referred to i couldn't yeah, yeah. find the name of it so the multi-form okay so the the maybe not a huge fan of the multiform. The the teeth are a little bit naff. I like the teeth when they're in the humans. Oh, that's what I don't like. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's a little bit silly. I think I think Olivia Coleman has to do one too many sort of. But yeah. apart from that, that's a bit of a shame. I mean, given also that Olivia Coleman was one of the potential next doctors. Yeah, a little bit on the is it, is it a little bit on the weird side? I feel like it's a little bit on the weird side that we get her in this very schlocky bit part in this episode. She's a fantastic actor or actress. Yeah. And she had to. She had. She had to um, do a, a girl voice. The doctor in the TARDIS doesn't know. Doesn't know. Doesn't know. That was ridiculous. Oh, that was that was incredibly annoying. And I wanted to forgive her for it because villains should be annoying on some level. Not every villain should be a super suave, sophisticated, you know, urbane, blooming. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd love to turn evil just so I could get away with saying shit like this. Exactly. Yeah. But 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 no, no. That that was a little bit too much like the new master when he first appears. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, sorry, I keep I keep running around. So okay, you didn't like the teeth. I didn't like the teeth. I loved the concept. Uh-huh. As in the, the shape shifting thing. The yeah, the shape shifting and the the whole well, it has to somehow connect with with a mind that is temporarily indisposed. Or, you know, like where the body is temporarily indisposed, but the mind is there. Uh, and yeah, I thought that was I thought that was pretty brilliant. And I really liked that that clue, which Rory never had a chance to offer up of, I've been seeing all these patients around town. I thought that was a brilliant twist. And wait, I'm going to say it again. Here's another thing I thought was absolutely brilliant. When the doctor asks him in that terrible piazza scene, that terrible Sherlock piazza scene. Yeah. When the doctor asks him, why were you taking pictures of him? And then all of a sudden, he is saying the same thing Rory is saying. Because I've seen them in the hospital, they're in a coma or whatever, however he says it. Yeah. Love it. And the doctor's just so smug about it. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, conceptually, that part of the multiform. Love it. Huge mm. fan. Mm. A track seat? Eh. Ah, take it or leave it. They're kind of interested in them, a little, I guess a little bit interested in them. I don't really understand them. They're in, are they prison guards? Are they, what are they? Well, they're certainly better than Jadoon. Yeah, oh, certainly better than Jadoon. And they're not that far removed from them, are they? But in I terms mean, of you're making that a space function. That's an assumption. That is a wild assumption. Well, it's, it's prison guards versus sort of space police, isn't yeah, it? But and they do they say that they're space police? The Jadoon? No, uh, Traxy. No, no, they are prison guards, but they, they are an alien that... that yeah, the are they really, the are they really prison guards, or did we just happen to see one Traxy prison guard and the rest are not in a prison? They're like flying around, popping force fields around planets so they can blow them up. Hmm. 
Like, who are they? Well, They're certainly not Vogons, good at numbering though. their... Yeah, exactly. They're not good at numbering their prisoners, I'll tell you that. <laughs> prisoner zero. Who's, who has a prisoner zero? What, what, what the fuck is a prisoner zero? <laughs> I was like, hey, guys, we're going to start at zero. Coincidentally, the first prisoner we, we caught just escaped. Or is it like, we're going to start at minus 437 and then work our way up past zero? <laughs> oh, yeah. Prisoner zero just escaped. Why is it prisoner... Pris- really? Prisoner zero? Fuck you. It, well... <sighs> I mean, I, I guess there are different number systems throughout the universe, but zero has to be common to all of them. So, you know, if you want people to know who your most wanted is, call that one zero, and then you can put out an APB throughout the universe, and everyone will be like, yeah, I know who that guy is. Rather wait, than, wait, 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 wait. So Prisoner Zero 12. is... What does this mean? So Prisoner Zero is just the name that you give anyone who happens to have escaped. So have you seen <laughs> Prisoner Zero? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Is there a new one? I don't... Didn't we catch him? No, no. Prisoner Zero is is your top security guy. The <laughs> one you least want to escape. He's Sean Connery in The Rock. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I don't really have an answer for that. Okay. All right, here's another thing I really hate about the Atraxi. Okay. But this is something that I, I kind of hate about sci-fi in general. Although, like, this is a trope in sci-fi that I hate. The let's, let's view... <laughs> mankind from a moral standpoint with this black and white montage of historical footage. Hate yeah. it. It's like, oh, oh, is mankind, does mankind pose a threat? So here we have Gandhi, here we have an atom bomb, here we have some, I don't know, people baking bread, blah, blah, blah. No, hate it. It's exactly the same sort of data burst as in The Next Doctor. Yeah. 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 With the series of Doctors, even. Yes, exactly. Mm. Not a huge fan of that. Yeah, it's like one of the one of the few things that drags down the Fifth Element as well for me. God damn it! That and obviously, what's her face who can't act? What's oh, Mila Jovovich. Yeah, Jovovich can't act for, to save her life. Mm. Oh, I remembered why I thought Moffat was a control freak as well. Oh, let's hear it. Which is that the multiform, which we were just talking about. Yeah, the guy and the dog. How many hours? How many takes do you think it got for the guy and the dog to be moving their head? At the exact, exact. same synchronized. Oh. And because he's looking up, he can't look at the dog and predict where it's going. He's got to be staring upwards. So th- someone is shouting commands at the dog, and the guy is just hoping the dog goes with him. And that it's exact it's, same moment. It's perfect. Yes, that, that must have been weeks, days. I think <laughs> we should check how much stubble he has from shot to shot. Because <laughs> he's probably clean shaven in some and has like a full beard in another when it actually works. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, Moffat just control freaking from the back of the set. Wrong! Do it again! <laughs> Shave him! Until yeah. Sherlock gets picked up, we're not going anywhere! Yeah, Keep adding zooms and twists to this piazza scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah that scene that that was the b unit just left alone for three weeks like what do we do well he's only told us to shoot this one scene so we, i guess we just keep shooting it. <laughs> we've already been to rory go back to the guy with the dog and then oh wait he's in that scene as well can't be at the same time huh the multi-form dog man is also in the piazza scene he is, yes. Oh, oh, you're right, yeah. They didn't shoot those at the same time. Yeah, you're right. All right, Moffat, you win this round. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what did you think of people recognising the Doctor as the raggedy man? I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, me too. And I did like Rory saying, you made me dress up as him. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> utterly demeaning as that is. I mean... <laughs> You know that uh, that's part of some elaborate sex game, clearly. Oh no, that was when they were like 
eight or nine years old and what? playing dress up. Oh, that's not what I thought that was at all. Yeah. I thought that was like, you know, last week you made me dress up like him <laughs> every now and then. You whip me and you make me dress up like the raggedy man. You've torn so many of my shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Maybe it started as one and eventually became it the other. evolved into the other. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I, I really liked it as well. I thought it was very sweet. It, okay, here's something I don't get about that whole thing, though. Why, and this is jumping to the very end, why does Amy Pond, who is now how old? At the very, very 26, end. 26, right? It's 14 years after. Was she 12 in the beginning? Hang on. I've got how old the, the young girl actress was. Uh, Caitlin Blackwood. I think she was 10. Yeah, and I think she is meant to be 12. Okay. so I okay. think so. And then it's 12 years later and then two years later. So 26. Yeah. I think. And so why does 26-year-old Amy Pond... Who's about to get married? Why does she still have all of her, all of the drawings and dolls that she made as a child, just like out strewn around her room? That's an incredibly good point because for the last year or so she'll have been planning a wedding. Yeah, and also she is twenty six years old and should not have her like kid drawings everywhere. Yeah, that that should be in deep, deep storage. <laughs> uh, yes, ev- all the time. But before a wedding, I'm kind of even Rory, don't marry so. this woman. She is. Bring a dark secret. Hang on. Do you, you know why she's got that out? Because Rory is going to walk up the aisle. No, it's the bride who walks up the aisle. Rory's going to be standing at the head of the aisle, dressed, dressed in a bow tie <laughs> with a little tweed suit. Those are sketches that she's made for her wedding plans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that should that should so be the case. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy. That game just keeps evolving. Ah, <laughs> oh, now. Oh, let's hear it. We mentioned her, Caitlin Blackwood. Little Caitlin Blackwood. Oh, the girl. Poor little Amy Pond. Amelia Pond. No one ever invites her anywhere. So sad. You hate children actors. What did you think of this one? She was brilliant. She was brilliant. She was absolutely brilliant. And I really, this is another, not just a testament to to her acting skills, but to the directing of this episode, because there are obvious highs whilst watching this episode. There There are moments of tension and so on. But I really felt for this girl when she was just sitting outside waiting, when she packed her teddy bear and everything and ran and was so excited to, you know, go traveling with what is, you know, ostensibly a, a father figure in, in lieu of a family uh, with an absentee aunt and so on and so forth. And then being utterly disappointed. I really felt for her. Yeah. And no, she does a fantastic, she does a, fant- she does a fantastic job even at the end when she's really the multiform. Mm. Yeah, well done. What's her face again? Caitlin Blackwood. Caitlin she has Blackwood. She's been in practically nothing since. Why? I don't know. Caitlin Blackwood, you are sitting on a gold mine. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, that talent. Do shit with it. If you're listening and you're an agent, represent this young woman. Represent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you're, you feel what you feel when the doctor fucks off because she... Her face is so full of expectation yeah. when he leaves that the smile that breaks across it is is so genuine. Yeah. Ah, oh, she she really did do a good job, and I'm so pleased that you thought so as well, that you will make this exception. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I will happily make... This is the one child actress uh, I wouldn't rather CGI. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame she's now a young adult, but... That's fine, that's uh, fine. I'm assuming that her talent hasn't withered. Yeah, uh, but what I'm saying is that from now on, all child actors have to be CGI'd. 
All of them, without well, Not just from now on. It, prior child actors should also have been CGI. Like, let's just George Lucas every single chi- child actor in any single thing ever. Not talking about young Darth Vader. I mean George Lucas stuff, as in going back and CGIing over characters. Even Home Alone? Yeah, fuck that guy. Just ah! like, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Obviously, <laughs> obviously Kevin McAllister can stay. He's okay. <laughs> legend. Yeah. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> okay, question for you. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about, because I think this is the first time that we get this, how do you feel about the TARDIS, A, materializing a TARDIS key in the Doctor's pocket, and B, building a new Sonic for him? I didn't have an objection to either of them. Interesting. Um, the key thing, I wonder if the key did fully materialize or whether it was just sort of activated. Oh, so that was the original key and... Yeah, I don't see why the locks should change particularly. I, I, I like to think a signal was sent. and That's interesting because I thought that he had no key in that pocket before. He was wearing clothes that he stole and all of a sudden in the the, po- oh, the inside pocket of those clothes. Damn it, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe he had the key in, you know, whatever he was wearing before, his raggedy clothes, and he then put that in a new pocket. Maybe that is what happens. Hmm. And maybe it was an alarm, like it just triggered... Like a little, hey, bing bong, hey, doc, check this out. I am now fully rebuilt. Yeah, Come and get it's, me. It's his version of the doctor's pager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, what about the, the Sonic? What about the TARDIS building a Sonic for him? I, I don't see any problem with that. The TARDIS has just completely refashioned itself, its entire yeah. interior. So, you know, while it's 3D printing all that lot, I'm sure you can squeeze a Sonic from one orifice or another. Because <laughs> that's sex- what happens. As sexy as that sounds... And yes, that is what happens. As sexy as that sounds, I'm not on board. Oh. I think the, the, the TARDIS and the Sonic are two entirely separate gadgets. Gadgets. I mean, the TARDIS is... The TARDIS has personality. The Sonic is a gadget. They are entirely separate. And in a way, I sort of view the Sonic as... It, it, it's come to mean almost the same as a lightsaber to me. And at a certain point, you just know how to build your own. We get the... We get the the master having built his own Sonic, we I think, right? I think the master built his Sonic thing. You oh, with the like laser, a laser screwdriver. Yeah. Oh, the laser screwdriver. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, we get the the super modified Sonic of uh, River Song, right? Mm. Which is just like a patchwork of stuff that she has built on top of it, and uh, and that the Doctor built on top of it. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're just yeah. I feel like this is something that you fashion yourself as a time traveler, as someone who is into Sonic technology. Technology, you are just awesome at, at building these things. I don't feel like it's something like it's a bit of technological earwax that the TARDIS just exudes. <laughs> oh, that is some beautiful turn of phrase. Thanks. I I would like to think that the Doctor started clattering away on the typewriter keys that you hate so much, and he essentially programmed, wrote, "Make yeah. me a poop me a Sonic." Yeah, and it should be green, and it should be long, and it should be phallic as. <laughs> <laughs> and then and I press a button and it gets even longer yeah and <laughs> and the TARDIS then those specifications being inputs then sort of microwaved it or something rather than maybe just out of nothing it was like I know exactly the Sonic for you my friend I feel like that Sonic had been brewing before he even had a chance to program it like he they, they go into the TARDIS sorry he goes into the TARDIS he travels around a little bit right wait is that what happens he goes to the moon and back takes him five minutes last two years yeah and during those five minutes it has been bring so you're saying he gets into the TARDIS he programs the TARDIS to make him a new Sonic and then he comes back yeah that's exactly what I'm saying lazy
lazy, lazy, lazy. I, I want the doctor to just build his own. It, off screen, obviously, but yeah, I want him to have made his own. I want to sort of assume that he's made his own. What, out of matchboxes and paper clips like in the warehouse? That was the worst scene in We're Coming Back to It Again, The Sound of Drums. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, how about the... Uh, I really didn't like these, but how about the Sonic Ray-Bans that Capaldi wears? Mm-hmm. He built those himself, right? He made Sonic Ray-Bans. Okay, but you didn't see him do it, did you? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Off-screen, I'm happy for it to happen off-screen, but I, I want to believe that the Doctor built this him-slash-herself. Mm-hmm. Right. Rather than the TARDIS strains and... Made it for the Doctor. Yeah. Which seems really lazy. As in, it seems like the Doctor's being lazy. Anyway, mm. I just felt, felt like asking you that. Okay, cool. Okay. We're sort of getting into the etc, uh, etc et sundries, aren't we? Yeah. I just want to say how good Smith is from the get-go. How, oh. how dynamic everything he does is. I For some reason, I just... And because I hadn't seen this episode, and a fair bit of Smith, even though I loved Smith, I... I and I'm skipping sideways again, but I wonder if after a series of Smith, we're going to be like, no, actually, he's way better than Capaldi. And then once we see Capaldi again, we're going to go, he's, he's way better than Smith. It's just whichever doctor is on the screen in front of us Maybe. at any one time. Well, don't say that because we were watching Tennant and saying Smith is way better than Tennant. Yeah. Yes, but if you go back to the early Tennants, which I did to watch for the retrospective, yeah. he was really, sure. really fun in those yeah i'm sure you yeah yeah absolutely i agree but isn't this still better isn't what we're getting here still better i mean they're both great they're both fantastic i love tenants as much as the next dude but the the you know what it is the fourth doctor was my doctor okay and matt smith reminds me a lot of of the fourth doctor i know i was gonna ask you because you have seen the first four doctors now at Uh, one point or another in your life sure some more recently than others and people have compared smith to troughton in a lot of ways. Yeah, also. Absolutely, yes. Okay, it, how? Because uh, Troughton is also sort of disheveled. He's also, he's uh, the raggedy man. Kind of slapsticky. He's falling around. He, he's almost like this, you know, uh, high-functioning alcoholic just walking around, <laughs> sort of bumbling around uh, the galaxy, solving puzzles because he's an, a, a complete and utter genius, but often just stumbling into situations. And, uh, like a, you know, like a very clever Mr. Magoo. And... Yeah, and, and Matt Smith does that. Tennant does not do that. Tennant is very calculated. Yeah. And uh, uh, also, the fourth Doctor, very wobbly. D- didn't we say this in, in our Tennant retrospective? Like, the, the fourth Doctor was more of an alien than, than Tennant. And you Matt did Smith, say that. It's almost like you've been listening to that, like, almost constantly since we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. God, no. But but Matt Smith also, very alien. That, oh, with all the spitting out the bacon and the yogurt and the beans and yeah. all that sort of stuff. You know what? I kind of... I'm not sure how I felt about that. He was so rude. He's he so rude. rude. Yeah, he he was very rude, but I loved the escalation of like the bread and butter. This will this will see us home. Yeah, and then what? And then, <laughs> it throws away a plate. Frisbee's the plate. I Onto want, a cat. That's <laughs> what I wanted. I wanted that <laughs> sound effect. You Why? Got it. Why you got it? Why did you not? Oh. <laughs> yes, uh, I I did like that though. Okay, I and that I liked it too. I thought and maybe his interplay it's with the little girl. I mean. 
and excuse me, the inc- the now incredibly famous fish fingers and custard scene. Yeah, we got it. We didn't talk about it, but fuck it. What is there to say? It's a yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what. Actually, we've been talking about how much Moffat set up, but a lot has fallen into place, and a yeah. lot more makes sense now that I've actually seen this episode. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I didn't expect Rory to turn up. Even I was surprised he was there from the very beginning. I had no idea. I remembered him having a way bigger part than he did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I somehow conflated his part with um, Sexy Jeff's. Oh. Uh, and as in just sort of melded those two into one and the same character and then completely muddled up all my memories. I mean, I took the beginning of this episode and attributed it to Tennant. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but Smith, he does so much. And in some ways, you almost expect him to screw it up. Like, he is... He is falling around the screen, he is bashing into trees, he's convulsing, he's writhing, he's falling on his ass, and yet he never loses a bit of momentum. No. No, not at all. And and there's never any time for us to, you know, roll our eyes and go, no, this is really dragging. Because it doesn't. There is hardly a second of flab in this whole hour. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really, really well done by everyone involved. Oh, Should yeah. we jump into ratings and, and well, I mean, we've already reviewed this. Should we jump into a paragraph of what's it and a number? <laughs> Just one more thing. Oh, okay, oh, here we go, obviously. Columbo, let's hear it. The apple with the face on it. Oh, that very much was just I've got a little plot point I'd like to introduce now with this y- you already said you hate apples yeah and I'm gonna one... save this for later yeah it... <laughs> oh yes I did like that once it was clear how much later but yeah it's got a wee face and I knew you you'll just spit it out on my head or something but here you go anyway <laughs> it's like, no no that was very ham-fisted that was a little ham-fisted yeah the second she produced it, I was like well this will be significant <laughs> <laughs> Since you're keeping it, yeah. yeah. It was still nicely dealt with in a way. I mean, if you've already introduced that ham-fisted a plot point, then you you can you can mess it up even further, but they didn't. I thought the scene where he then reintroduces it in the future is, as in, you know, 12 years later, is very nicely done. Yes, that's very nicely done. It's just like, here, boom, apple. You recognize? Done. Let's not talk about this anymore. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, they, they could have messed that up as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And to finish off a point that I half made earlier so it doesn't count as a new one. Okay, yeah, sorry, go for it. Is just how dynamic he is. And he's he's going along the wall and he, he his eyes are full of wonderment that somehow I didn't see before or just forgot about. And he is, he is bounding and he's asking about duck ponds and there's just so much energy. <laughs> I know. And yeah, he's, he's like a child. He's he's like a child on amphetamines. He's just running around looking at things and seeing them for the first time. It's brilliant. Yeah, and and that makes his interactions with young Amelia just they are on a level. He is not talking down to her at all. That is the ideal way to talk to a child who is receptive to that. Yeah, it's it was really good. Uh, yeah, you bet your tits, Drew. This was fantastic. Okay, how fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. <laughs> you go first. All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think this came at the right time. <laughs> this brilliant and reboot-like introduction to a new Doctor, a new TARDIS, a new companion, a new showrunner. Yeah. 
a new theme song, a new Sonic, a new every, like this feels like a reboot to me. And it came at the right time because we had been at this point, sorry, not trying to poop on the previous showrunner at all, but we had been suffering through myriads subpar episodes and. Ever since Donna stopped being a regular companion, essentially. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I love RTD. RTD is great. However, that doesn't prevent me from saying I love Stephen Moffat as well. Wow. My goodness. So much is set up. So much is done with what is set up. So much is done with just stuff plucked out of the ether. This is such an incredibly well-structured, well-paced, well-acted, well-directed, well-produced episode. It is almost perfect. Wow. Um, uh, uh, I'll be super quick about Smith, because we've talked about Smith just now. But I love Matt Smith. There's an energy to that character that I haven't seen, like I said, I mean, frankly, since Tom Baker. Hmm. And I realize, I just for the record, I haven't seen Colin Baker ever as the Doctor, except in like bits of like clips on YouTube or whatever. I've never seen Sylvester McCoy except in the Eighth Doctor movie. And I, I, <laughs> I've only seen a little bit of Davison. So I'm making a huge leap there. But wow, that to me, he feels very Tom Bakery. And, you know, that's, it strikes a chord in me and I really love it. He also has great chemistry with the soon-to-be Ponds. Minus points only for surprisingly amateurish coincidences. Some ham-fisted characterization as well, like the dolls at the end, and the unbelievable Sherlock-esque scene in the piazza. I'm giving this. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is big. I can see... He can barely fit his mouth around uh, the size of this number that's coming out. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... This might be super far off what you're going to give this. I'm giving this a 4.4. It's not that far off. <laughs> That's not the number that I'd originally written down here, actually. Okay. I'd originally written 4.5. I'm, I'm grading it down to 4.4 after this conversation. So you were going to give it 4.5? Yeah. Are you giving it 4.5? My rating is 4.5. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have stuck with 4.5! <laughs> it's good to be different. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there are things I I like about this episode. I like the, even though it's a poke in the eye of RTD, I like the fact that, yes, when he thinks the Sonic is going to work and he's holding it in the air, shit, that's when it breaks. And then he has to think of a new new angle of attack. Yeah. Against the multiform. But then the multiform is, ha ha ha, I've got a psychic link in the bank. And then the doctor has to think, well, no, I know what to do with your psychic link. And and it just keeps going between them. It's it's great to see them obviously not extempor... Well, they're extemporizing. And and the forethought that Moffat has put into that to make that happen, that is marvellous construction of of a climactic scene there. Brilliant. Because I'm not going to single out any previous showrunners. It could have happened with any of them, but where it would have just ended much more simply. The, the scanning beam would have come in and the multiform would have been frozen right there and you'd have two or three minutes lost. But there's that extra layer of cleverness and that's great. The acting is pretty much all fantastic yeah. throughout this episode. And the scene on the roof... Smith is cool in oh. that scene. Bow ties are cool. When he Bow ties said, are cool and basically just run. Yeah, Earth is protected. I'm oh, sorry, can yeah. I upgrade it to 4.5 again? This is my original note. Look at my notes. Okay. It's, in my, it's in my notes. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Eyes are cool. Also, some say that this is a remake of The Girl in the Fireplace. Yes, yes, so I've heard. I say <laughs> it's Moffat's homage to The Runaway Bride. I mean, she's running oh? off the, the, oh! the night before her wedding. Oh my 
goodness. That's why Amy had to be ginger. And imagine Catherine Tate Wait, saying... that's why Amy had to be ginger? Yeah, as an homage to Donna Noble. What, like, they cast... She is ginger. Yeah. Well, that's why it had to be played by a ginger actress. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so far-fetched. Final point. Imagine yeah. Catherine Make Tate... Make this one an actual one. Imagine Catherine Tate saying, 12 years, 12 years, 12 years, and four psychiatrists. There is basically no difference. No, there's a huge difference. They would have delivered that line in almost exactly no. the same way. No, Only the volume no, no. would have been different. Answers on a postcard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, right in. <laughs> Let us know, would this episode have been identical if Amy Pond had been played by, had been replaced by Donna Noble? <laughs> oh, I'm No! Not, I, no, the answer is no, Drew. I'm not saying for the whole episode. I'm <laughs> saying for that one moment, there were remarkable similarities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When Amy is at her most angry and indignant, obviously, and approaching a Donna level of it. So yeah. I, I guess, okay, that's the reason why. I just thought of another reason why this, at the very... Oh, shit, now I'm almost regretting this as well. Like This, at the very least, deserves, on our weird sliding scale, a, a minimum of 4.5. Mm-hmm. The, the last time we gave a really high rating was to, I think, the... Um, Forest of the Dead? Silence in the Library and Forest Midnight. of the Dead? 4.6 is for Midnight. Oh, Really? 4.6. Okay. I, I, okay. I, all right. Fair enough. In that case, I guess 4.5 kind of is a fair one. But I was thinking back at Science in the Library, uh, which was 4.3, right? Oh, I don't know. You got me there. I think 4.3. This is more than just a decimal point better than that. This is infinitely better than that, but it's not quite midnight for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm justifying my very flabby spine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know, the other thing that changed from the previous era to this one... What's that? We don't have the uh, four-way conference calls anymore. Six-way now! Oh! Yes, of course. And Patrick Moore's involved. Oh, hello, Patrick And there's Moore. so much more talking. About Fermat's theorem and two oh. light speed fa- faster than light no, travel and no, a joke. No, wait, wait, that's in my notes. This is in my notes. Wait, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Did I just, yeah. Uh, yeah, here we go. In my notes, I, I, I even put this in bold because this is how upset I was by this. I can't oh. believe I forgot to mention oh. this. Go on then. I wrote down, what the shit? Doc just gave mankind the secret to faster than light travel. So he did. What do you mean, so he did? No, I'm He's like, s- I'm going to prove that I'm a genius no, no, here. No, I'm not saying, so what if he did? I'm saying, so he did in a in a reflection, sort of dawning on me sort of way. Like, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, the previous doctor was very c- careful not to introduce technology too early. Yeah. Do you know what this is? This is trans- transparent aluminum. Ooh. You know, in... Have you not seen Star Trek Four: Voyage Home? I haven't. No. Oh shit! We had this conversation, haven't we? Yeah. yeah well, let's let, seriously. What, uh, what are you doing next week? Let's watch Star Trek Four. Okay. There, there's um, there's a scene where sorry spoiler uh, for a thing that everyone knows. Um, Scotty gives the the chemical formula for transparent aluminum to uh, to some human in the sixties or sorry in the seventies. So like here you go, boom, done. As oh. a bribe, basically. Oh. And that kind of fucks up everything, right? That fucks up absolutely everything from that point on. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. only the prime directive, but... Mankind. And its history and the Federation yeah. and... Exactly. Oh my goodness. Like, that guy is now the new Elon Musk, and he clearly uses his transparent aluminum for evil, right? <laughs> so, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, this is the same thing. It's like, here, here are six dudes I've never met. Oh, sorry, he seems to kind of know more. Oh. It feels like he knows 
knows him. Like yeah. they are, they're they're on first name basis. In fact, yeah. Well, well he's on first name basis. If you're gonna pick a stargazer, go with Wilfred Mott. But I suppose while you're burning all your bridges. <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> but also, real person, as opposed to a fictitious... Well, who am I kidding? Wilfred Mott is a real person. But, uh, <laughs> he just picks, like, oh, here's more, and five dudes I've never met. Superpowers, nuclear superpowers among them. Here you go. Secrets are faster than light travel. Yeah. Just have it. And henceforth, all of mankind... Like, mankind's future is now completely boned. Totes, malotes, effed in the A. Yeah, sorry. It really upsets me. Would reading out some listener minis calm you down? Yes. Yes, it would. Would. Our first listener contribution tonight. <laughs> yeah. I can't actually read out, but it is from Michael from slash temporarily working in Pakistan. Hello, Michael. Yes. <laughs> who has given as a present to the podcast some zesty orange brandy. Oh, and it is, it's uh, orangey, zesty, and absolutely delicious. Thank you so much, Michael. This yeah. is so nice of you. It is a lovely present, and we have. It has powered our podcast tonight. Yes, it has. And, we are most and added a, a, a bit of sophistication and flair. Brilliant. Michael, thank you so much. Can we say congratulations as well? Is that in order? Is that official? Can we say that? I haven't received word yet, but I will let you know. Okay. Stay tuned, Podcast Land. <laughs> oh. A new fan is on the way. <laughs> With a Dalek onesie already <laughs> bought for it. No way! Yes way! Oh, awesome. Oh, Michael's going to be an awesome dad. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, sorry, spoilers. Do you want to continue with a more conventional review? Certainly. Let's do that. This next one comes from Tracy! From America. <laughs> Hello, Tracy. All right. Uh, Tracy goes, Ah, yes, the multi-season extended edition of Girl in the Fireplace. Aha! <laughs> Complete with imaginary friend who was real all along. Production values skyrocket. CGI is no longer cringeworthy and storylines are a manageable level of convoluted. I think we are entering peak new who. Now, let's talk music, which, side note, we did straight away, but yeah. not because we've read this review. This no. Is, this is new. <laughs> no, this we, is brilliant. We're just, you know, <laughs> neuronally converging, or however you want to put it. Like, our... After watching so much Doctor Who, our cerebellums just are now built along the same cerebellic line. Cerebella, yeah, man. <laughs> now let's talk music, Tracy said. Let's. The Matt Smith era is peppered throughout with a theme featuring either two or five note snippets of what has to be the most exciting sea scale of all time. Call and response, I like it. This theme is called I Am the Doctor on iTunes. We'll find it throughout minute 51 of the episode. This theme hammers away insistently, building all the while like an oncoming freight train, <laughs> so we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that whatever is happening is clearly insane, impossible, and magnificent. And that's also a good summation for Matt Smith's Doctor. <laughs> this Doctor is so much bravado, and for a guy who, at the start, seemingly panicked, afraid he'd regenerated into a girl, is quite the diva. This episode sees him casually nude before throwing on half a dozen ties, suspenders, and a coat while calling back deadly aliens just so he can give them a threatening imperative. Basically, run. Yeah. yeah. Basically, <laughs> run! It's not that. It'll get better. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... Oh, I, I completely forgotten that you do such a brilliant <laughs> Smith. Do you know... It's basically... I can't do it. Basically... Oh, I just end up in uh, Dick Van Dyke land. It's, 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 it's as bad as it is, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but it's because it's based off his Rings of a Carton 
tirade. Rings of a carton, is it? Rings of a carton? Well, Rings of Akaten. I don't fucking know. Oh, yeah, so I was down at the club talking to the boys about the Rings of a carton. What is it then? I don't know. Akatan? Okay, okay. But anyway, when he's railing against the sun, going, you bloody big yellow bastard, and why don't you fuck off, eh? So... My, my Matt Smith impression will be finessed oh, as yeah. we go along. Uh, and I shall try to improve upon mine. <laughs> <laughs> so Tracy ends her review with a few comments from Daughter from America. Daughter from America. No, no, no. no. <laughs> she already has a jingle, which is Tracy, Tracy from America's daughter. daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. One. <laughs> he called back deadly aliens just to scold them. Yes, yes, he did. Two. I can't believe Amy would run off with the doctor the night before her wedding. Be careful. If you change the past, it might reflect in the future. That is, that's, yeah. Uh, wait, hang on, Amy. What are you doing? <laughs> Turn back right now. You know she's going to come back late. This is, no, this is terrible. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Daughter from America. We have a rating as well. Tracy gives this a rating of Lady Gaga. Hmm, okay. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land who are not Tracy, you can follow Tracy on Twitter. She is at Yekatnyatnuf. That's Phantom Tracy backwards. <laughs> Well, Na- we've always got that. That never oh, goes well. Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> All right, next up we have Kyle Rath. <laughs> Hello, Kyle. A.K.A. Sinister Super Spy. Yeah. Shall I start it? Go for it. All right, Kyle says, After slogging through the murky emo hawk send-off of David Tennant's Tenth Doctor, we turn our attentions to what is perhaps the absolute best new Doctor episode in the show's run thus far. Stephen Moffat steps aboard as showrunner and writer and we meet 11th Doctor Matt Smith as he crashes, smashes, and generally Jerry Lewis's his way into the life of Amelia Pond, delightfully debuted by Karen Gillan. This episode is very funny. It is also somewhat spooky, curious, slapdash, manic, frantic, and accomplishes all of this by grabbing you by the lapels at the opening credits and throwing you firmly back in your chair après wedding dress. Even on this rewatch, I felt pulled into Ledworth proper, wondering about ducks and ponds, whether Noel ever got his keys back, or what, what happened to Jeff and his questionable browsing history. <laughs> Most of all, we got introduced to Eleven and the ponds, before the drama, before skim milk people, before killer space women. This is a wonderful episode, a fantastic example of why we all had faith in Moffat. This was what who was meant to be. Wisecracking, fly by the seat of your pants, daring do with your best mates in a time-travelling police box. The promise of all the adventures yet to be had. Also Rory, God, I missed Rory. We didn't know we had it so good. And he gives this 4.7 out of 5. Minus 0.3 for the rubbish CGI Prisoner Zero hanging dildo snake. Seconded. <laughs> Awesome mini-review, Kyle. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for sending that in. Ladies and gentlemen who are not Kyle Rath, fret not. You can follow him. It's the next best thing. Uh, he is at Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any vowels. Also, I'd like to suggest another name for his podcast, Tapes of Wrath. <laughs> Because what I said in the retro was Grapes of Wrath. That didn't yeah. make any sense, but Tapes, Tapes of, of wrath. wrath. It's brilliant. It is. Oh, my God, it's brilliant. Get on that, Kyle. <laughs> you can also follow Kyle's podcast, The Cognizant Dissidence Podcast, on Twitter at 
Cog Diz Podcast. That's Cog Diz Podcast. Awesome. <laughs> but not before we have read out our third and final mini review of the night. That's right. This one comes from Michael French. Hello, Michael, who has submitted a mini review in the past. He he explained in a prologue to his mini. He is the uh, English pizza. Oh wow! So he really gets around countrywise. <laughs> <laughs> It took me a while to get that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Michael. And he says, firstly, let me start off by saying I love this wonderful, whimsical cartoon of a man. The way he hates everything he eats and just casually throws a plate of bread and butter out the door at a whim, I find incredibly charming. Not to mention that he casually takes clothes from the hospital that then become his iconic tweed jacket and bow tie. I find tremendously entertaining. And speaking of things I love, I absolutely adore the new TARDIS interior. It looks like it came straight out of a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, true. Yeah. This review also makes clear what I didn't quite in the episode itself, which is that one man's jumping the shark slapstick-wise yeah. is the other guy's favourite bit. Like, yes, yeah, Like, when right. he threw the plate, you were like, oh, for fuck's sake, and, I, <laughs> and me and Michael were punching the air. <laughs> Slow motion, freeze-frame high-fiving. Yeah. Across, ooh, uh, earball space. <laughs> Michael would also like to say that he thinks that this episode acts, in a way, like a first episode. Yes. It starts off with a new Doctor, and a new companion, and little to no connections to past seasons, something that we haven't really gotten since Eccleston's time on the show. But, in regards to the plot, I don't really know how I feel about the whole crack in the universe plotline, because as we have the benefit of already knowing what the crack is, I think that it loses some of the suspense that would otherwise have been there if it was my first viewing. Ah. My suggestion to you, Michael is to get super, super drunk for a number of years, and eventually your memory will degrade, and you can approach this with a new eye again, and you will enjoy it much more like we did. I mean, that's good advice for anyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My point is that while we know what the crack is, I'm not entirely sure if the show knows what the crack is yet. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. Sorry that I haven't talked about Prisoner Zero at all until this point, mostly because I much prefer seeing the Doctor doing whatever he does to save the day. And he concludes, Now, with all that being said, which, if it hasn't been made clear, which I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't, I really like this episode. I give it a 4.2 bow ties out of 5. Nice. Yeah. Ker-ching. Ker-ching. Awesome. Thank you very much, Michael. Awesome mini. Keep um coming. And I think that pretty much concludes it for our review of the 11th hour. Next time on Who Back When, we'll be jumping into classic Who territory with a review of The Sea Devils. And our next Who review will be reviewing something that sounds quite similar on the face of it, The Beast Below. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Quite looking forward to that. And at some point, we're going to do a bonus episode where we all... Do a Who Back When Just a Minute. We're going to make that happen. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. We absolutely have to make that. The buzzers are up there. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Drew gave me some awesome lights and sounds buzzers for my birthday that we're going to be using for that bonus episode. It's going to be magnificent. Yeah. Catch it before the BBC insists we take it down. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to this review of a BBC property. Uh, True. Yeah. People can follow you online, can they not? They can. At Drew Back When on the Twitter box. (laughs) You can follow me as well. I'm at Ponkin. I don't tweet a lot. But I am building a TARDIS at the moment, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to follow along, because I'm tweeting a lot of pictures of it. That's about it. Catch us in the next time. Be rad and excellent to each other. Thank you, and to ciao. Bye-bye! <laughs> <laughs> Good
Problemo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Then find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your ear balls in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chow. Who back when? Fuck, I didn't press record for that last bit. <laughs> ah, kidding. Oh, the look on your face. Such a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Although, we, if we were to do it again, it wouldn't be any worse. No. <laughs>